Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And I do want to encourage you, we are one week into a 21-day stretch of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. And uh, I just want to encourage you to stay committed. You know, I don't know how your week has been. I had a guy come to the church years ago and said, if you'll, if you'll fast for three days, God will give you a vision. And I thought, man, I want a vision from the Lord. How many thinks vision is important? So he's like, if you'll fast for three days, God will give you a vision. And so I'd never fasted before, but I thought, you know what? I need to see some things. I want God to show me some stuff this year. So I fasted for three days, and then we got back together, and he said, well, what was the vision that God gave you? I said, I had plenty of visions, hamburgers and chicken nuggets and waffle fries. Come on. How many of you got a little hungry this week? A few of you did? Okay. The rest of you, fast is going great. All right. Praise God. But in the moments that our physical hunger talks to us, I pray that it's a reminder that our need for God is even greater. And, uh, and I do believe that when God's people set themselves to pray, to fast, and to really focus on the presence of God, that things begin to happen. And I just sense that in the spirit. Things are moving. Things are shifting. Sometimes things have to happen in the spirit realm before they manifest in the natural. And I know we're believing to see great things this year in the natural. But if you want to see great things, you've got to seek the greatest thing. And uh, so I encourage you, let's stay the course. Amen. We're in a series called Yearbook. Last year, or last week, um, I'm sorry, last week we talked about the faithfulness of God, and we, we read out of Joshua and the stones that were set up and how they reminded God's people to reflect, look at where you have come from, and let that build confidence to where you're going. Well, the installment today out of yearbook, this yearbook series is called Signatures in the Back, Signatures in the Back. And if, you, if you've had a yearbook and, and you, know, you look through it, you see all the pictures that remind you of things that have happened. I, I've got, I got this yearbook. I dug this out of the garage, okay? Dug an old yearbook out of the garage. Family Christian Academy, FCA, we were the flames. And uh, back in 1991, now, now Rachel, she was out of town this week. She's been gone since Wednesday, and so she's not here. <laughs> and it just so happens I couldn't find any of my yearbooks, I promise you, but I found hers. So, you know, they got these in, in the back, they got the, the autographs. I don't know if you can see that, but you remember how you're, when you get your yearbook, the first thing you do is look for pictures of what? Yourself. Come on now, be honest in the house of God. Don't be all religious up in here. No, you're looking for yourself. Then once you find all the pictures of yourself and then you criticize, oh, that was a bad picture. I don't like my face in that. I don't like my hair like that. Oh, that makes me look fat. That makes me look fat. I can't believe I'm so fat. <laughs> then you go to, you know, you, you take the back where it's the autographs and you go to your friends and you ask them, hey, will you sign my yearbook? How many remembers that? Do they still do that these days? I know things have changed. I don't know if they do that or not anymore. But back in the day, you'd take that yearbook and you'd go to all your friends and say, hey, can you sign my yearbook? Well, this is Rachel's yearbook. And <laughs> 
I just, I discovered this yesterday. I thought, oh, this is too good not to share with the church. <laughs> Rachel, I'm really glad you came to this school so I could get to know you better. You're such a sweetheart. Thanks for always being a friend. Tell Mike, if he doesn't treat you right, he'll have to deal with me. I'm sure he'll be really scared. Here's another one. Rachel, even though I hardly know you, <laughs> I really did enjoy picking on you. Have a great summer. Get a job, make money, go to the mall. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Uh, let's see. Where's another one? Hey, Rachel, whether you believe it or not, I like the way your hair comes backwards. Sometimes. <laughs> I did enjoy meeting you and becoming your friend. I hope you have a great, successful, and happy life. Here's another one. Hey, Rachel, I hope you're having fun. If you're not, then you better start. Mike really likes you. <laughs> well, I don't really know you too good, but you're very pretty, and I can see why Mike likes you. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Some of the things that we say when we're 17, 18 years old, we think we know so much. You know, but here's the, the, the funny thing is, in this, of all the people that signed her, her yearbook, I signed it too. I'm going to tell on myself. Here's what I said. Rachel, thanks for being a true friend. Yeah, I was all about friendship back in the day. I know I can always count on you. It's difficult for me to put into words everything I'd like to say, but for a lack of time and space, I'll keep it short and sweet. You're very precious. I admire the way. Now I'm getting spiritual here. I admire the way you let the Holy Spirit lead you. Keep Jesus first. I know you will. Just remember these three words, you will never know. P.S., you better keep in touch. She listened to my advice, did she not? Yeah, she keeps in good touch. Praise the Lord. Signatures. Now, the interesting thing about signatures in the back of your yearbook, it all points to relationships. Can I have a good amen? Today, I want to talk to you about the value, the significance, the importance of relationships. You know, when you get your yearbook, you barely remember the classes that you take. You have no idea. You don't remember any of the tests that you took, but you begin to remember the relationships, the people that you did life with. What's important in life is not what we achieve, but it's who we become and it's those that we love. How many of you have discovered that relationships are greater than achievements? Yeah, sometimes in life we get in a mode of achieve, 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 success and, and accomplishment. But then when we look back, we can see the thrill of life. The significance is found in who we love and the things that we share with those individuals. The signatures in the back are all about relationships. Hebrews chapter 10 and one verse. I want to read verse 25 to you. And I think this will set the construct for the message today. And I, I'm going to read a couple biblical narratives that will weave in and out. But this is the baseline of what we're going to talk about as it relates to signatures in the back, relationships. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Somebody say together. Amen. Don't neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Somebody say encourage. Encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Somebody say return. Now, let me read this again. The scripture reminds us, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now 
now that the day of his return is drawing near. You know, as we step into a new year, there's two words that I continue, and in tandem, God's been speaking to me all this week about two words, and I want you to jot them down somewhere, and we're going to break this verse down and, and kind of, you know, listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling us about relationships, but two words that I think are important as we enter this topic. It's the word commit and the word connect. The word commit and connect. If you're taking notes, write that down somewhere. I think these are two foundational pillars when it comes to the relationships and really the direction of our life. Commit and connect. And here's what I was thinking about even this morning. On my way to church, I thought, you know, there is a longing. There is a deep need within every human heart to connect. You and I were created the way that we were wired, how God put us together. Even when God looked down at Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Everything else God did, he said it was good. Everything God did was good in the garden, how he placed the plants and animals and, you know, the, the, he separated the day and the night and the sea and the land. It's good. It is good. One thing it wasn't good was for man to be alone. You and I have a deep need at the soul level to connect. And the enemy of your soul knows that. He knows that we can't live in isolation, so he will do everything within his power to keep us disconnected. Can I tell you that the key to connection is commitment? You know, we have a desire and a longing to connect, but sometimes we have a reluctance to commit. And without commitment, then we struggle to connect. Can I have a good amen? Unless you make a commitment in a friendship, then it's hard to receive the benefits of being a friend. Unless you make a commitment in a relationship, it's hard to get that connection that your soul longs for. And so all of us recognize the need to connect, but some of us struggle as it relates to commitment. And I believe this, the greater the commitment, the stronger the connection. How many know that's true in a marriage? Man, the greater your commitment, the stronger your connection. It's true in a friendship. It's true in any kind of relationship in life. If you make a commitment to someone, you'll make a connection to that one. And the Bible here in, in Hebrews chapter 10, most scholars believe that the author is the apostle Paul. But the, the, the Bible tells us, don't neglect a commitment or a coming together. Here's what I believe this year, because I know that as we begin a new year, we're seeking to make commitments. We see that in how we arrange our diet and how we arrange our exercise routine, even as it relates to the things of God. I want to challenge you this year. If you'll make a commitment to the house of God, then you'll make a connection to the people of God. Are you with me? That, that void or that emptiness or that struggle, maybe that, that gaping hole in your soul. You love God, but maybe you struggle to connect with, relationally with others. If you'll make a commitment to the house of God, watch what happens to your connection with the people of God. Does that make sense? I think that's so important. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to make friends when you're a kid? Remember back in the day how easy it was? You know, I, I thought about this several years ago, Trevor. I picked him up from school, and man, he was just so happy. I'm like, T-Rev, talk to me, man. How was your day? He's like, Dad, I made a new best friend. And that was cool because, you know, we pray over our kids. I pray for godly connections. Lord, let them have great friends. Let them be a great friend. He was so excited. He said, Daddy, I got a new best friend. And I said, well, that's fantastic. What's his name? He said, I don't know. 
I said, wait a second. He's your best friend, but you don't know his name? He said, well, dad, he's my best friend, but he had really cool shoes on. I really liked his shoes, and so I made him my best friend. (laughs) I'm thinking, man, don't you wish making a best friend was as easy as liking somebody's shoes? And as a kid, relationships and friendships come so easily. But now, as an adult, if you see somebody with fine shoes, you're not thinking best friend. You're thinking, where'd they get those shoes? How much they paid for those shoes? Well, they're trying to say, with those shoes. I need a pair of shoes like that. Why do they have those shoes and I don't? And listen, as a kid, that's potentially material for best friends. But as an adult, come on, are you with me? We lose something over time. We struggle to develop those kind of relationships. Well, out of this verse, I think there's specific things for us to learn. The Bible says, don't neglect your meeting together, together, together. If there are three things I can give you out of this single passage, the first would be this. And and these are core values of this house. Since we're celebrating 25 years this year, I thought it would be important for us to reflect on some of those, those cornerstones that this church has been built upon. And one of those cornerstones is this. Number one, people matter to God. And because people matter to God, they should matter to us. People matter to God. Why is this so important? You know, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Why do people matter to God? Because each one of us were made in the very image of God. Think about it. And and Brother Wayne has taught us this over the years about the image of God. When you look into the eyes of another human being, what does it mean, the image of God? I looked that up in the Hebrew, and actually the Hebrew word is there's a reflection, there's a resemblance or a likeness to God. To be made in the image of God means there's something inside of you that when other people look at you, you reflect the glory and the splendor of God. There's a God-like quality inside of every human being. We are made in his image. Why is this so important? Because as a church, we value people. All people. Regardless of what they look like, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their level of education, their income, their background, their history, people matter to God. And if people matter to God, then they should matter to us. Come on, can I have a better amen? You see, and I heard this the other day, and I thought this was so powerful. Sometimes we struggle to love certain people, do we not? How many of you have people in your life that are difficult to love? The rest of you are not being honest. Now, I'm not saying that they're here. Don't point to anybody in the room right now. But sometimes people are a lot like porcupines. Can I have a good amen? How many of you know porcupine? He's not the most lovable friendly, you're not wanting to reach up and hug a porcupine, right? They say that a porcupine on the average has 30,000 quills. You know, in a porcupine, you ever tried to hug a porcupine? Don't do it. Man, they can flat out stick you with those quills and then, you know, the body temperature of its victim begins to rise, causing that barb to just embed and become inflamed. And then I'm telling you, it could be dangerous. And some of you think, man, I got some porcupines in my life that it's just best for me to avoid. Can I tell you, even difficult people are loved by God. 
Now, it may be difficult for us to love, but how many of you know God will put sandpaper in your life sometimes to, to smooth off the rough edges in you? Think about it. The line between good and evil doesn't run between people. Good people on one side, bad people on the other. The line between good and evil doesn't run between people. It runs through every human heart. Within each and every one of us, there's an ability to do good, and there's also a capacity to do bad. Come on, are you with me? And so what what we have to remember is there's not good people on one side that God loves and bad people on the other side that God hates. Guess what? God loves all people so much that he would send his one and only son, Jesus, to die for good people and bad people and everybody in between. And the truth is there are times when I think things and say things and do things that aren't consistent with my character and nature. I have the capacity to do bad. You have the capacity to do bad, but because God loves us, but because people matter to God, he would send his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus died on the cross and he bled on that cross. He hung on that cross 2000 years ago and it wasn't just for good people. It was for all people. Can I have a good amen? Jesus died for the down and out, but Jesus also died for the up and out. Come on. Are you with me? Now, why is that? You know what? I think being down and out is bad, but being up and out is even worse because sometimes we think we're up and we put on a facade that tries to convince everybody of how up we are, but we're still out. Can I have a good amen? And so Jesus died for the down and out. He died for the up and out and he died for those who can't figure it out. Turn your neighbor and say, he's talking to some of you right now. People matter to God. Why is it difficult for us to commit and connect to others? You know why? Because relationships take work. And the truth is sometimes we just get lazy, don't we? Oh, it's just too much effort. It's work. You know what? Relationships are risky. Some of you have taken a risk in relationship and it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. And so now you've just kind of shied away. You can love people from a distance. But this whole idea of committing and connecting, mm, it's a challenge to you. Relationships are risky. Relationships are messy. But people matter to God. And so they should matter to us. You know, our founding pastors, Dino and Delenn, they knew this well. Um, Pastor Dino was my youth pastor years ago. In fact, I've known him since I was 13 years old. And outside of my natural father, he has been the largest influence in my life. And nobody taught me to love people quite like Pastor Dino did. I remember when he and Delenn, they, they, after serving in youth ministry, they traveled for about a year and a half trying to figure out their next season. What was next? What was their next step? And so they were in Houston and they were visiting Lakewood Church and sat down with the Osteen family. They had some connection with Gary and April Simons. April is Joel Osteen's sister. And so the late John Osteen, John and Dodie Osteen, the Osteen family, they were sitting in the living room with John and Dodie Osteen trying to figure out their life. This was back in October of 1992. And so Brother Osteen asked Pastor Dino, well, what's in your heart? What, what do you see? 
And so he and Delenn were trying to figure out their next step. And so he just started expressing things that were in him. And the more he talked, I mean, he, and he said he just, he felt like he was just rambling, but it was coming out of him like a river. He said in the middle of that conversation, John stood up and walked out the room. And he's like, oh no, did I say something wrong? Three minutes later, he comes back. He said it was the longest three minutes of his life. He sat down, wrote a check, and he gave it to Pastor Dino. And he said, Dino, you and Delenn need to go back to Baton Rouge and you need to plant a church that will serve the poor and the hurting. Wrote him a check for $400, and that was the original seed money that started what we know and love as the Healing Place Church family. That was back in October of 1992. Told him, I'm giving you this check as the tithe, this is the first tithe of this church that you're supposed to plant. And if you don't plant that church, I'm going to have you arrested because you stole my money. <laughs> he, he just, he felt a mandate. Our pastor felt a mandate in his heart because he loved people. He knew the value of people. I want you to know that from that day to this day, now here's what's interesting. $400 back in 1992. Okay. Then in January of 93, we start our first service with 12 people, 12, 12 people. That was 25 years ago. And over the course of 25 years, that 12 has grown Amen. and it's multiplied. Yeah. And, and the, the, the story, the, the history, the rich history of this church. Oh, I wish I had time to tell it all. But I'll tell you this, because we've embraced the idea that people matter to God. So they should matter to us. 12 people 25 years ago has now been multiplied into about 12,000 people around the world. Watch this. Watch this. That $400 check that was given in October of 1992, do you know that over the 25-year history of this church, to missions alone, we've given over $30.5 million to mission. Come on, can you put your hands together this morning? And I don't say that to say, look at us. Somebody saw the seed of a dream planted in Pastor Dino's heart and said, you know what? That's something I want to invest in. Now, I wonder today if the Osteens even know how that gift has been multiplied, not just in this city, but in campuses all across this region, all across the world. And I think we ought to just take a moment this morning and we ought to just clap our hands and honor Dodie Osteen and her family. John, thank you for believing in what God is doing here. Your gift has been multiplied around the world. Come on, put your hands together this morning. Somebody say people matter to God. So they should matter to us. I love that. Look at what the scripture says. Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Encourage one another. It's interesting when you make a commitment to the house of God, when you make a connection to the people of God, it's amazing what comes out of that. The first thing is people matter to God. The second thing I want you to see is this. Number two, your resource is in your relationship. Your resource is in your relationship. Why is that important? So because of that, we should encourage one another. Your resource. How many know it's not about money? You can have everything that money could buy and still be missing the most important thing that you can't put a price tag on. 
Can I have a better amen? It says, so encourage one another. What's interesting, if you notice, flip over to 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to tell you just a quick, and I don't have time to teach this, but this is a message in and of itself. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we find there is a widow woman who she had lost her husband and she had two sons. She was in so much debt that the creditors were coming to take her sons and enlist them as slaves in order for her to pay off her debt. So she's frantic. She goes to the prophet Elisha and says, oh man of God, my husband used to work with you in your group of prophets. Please hear my desperate situation. We have nothing left. I'm in so much debt, creditors are about to take my sons and enslave them. Can you help me? And you know what the man of God says? He says, what do you have in your house? What do you have? (laughs) I was like, come on, Elisha, really? She just says she got nothing. In fact, what little she has, they're about to take it. They're about to take her own family. He says, what do you have in your house? Sometimes I think we minimize what we have in our own stewardship. What do you have in your house? You know what she says? Nothing except a little flask of oil. That's all she has. Just one little flask of oil. Here's what Elisha tells her with what little she has. Look at, look at this in 2 Kings 4, verse 3. Then Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Borrow from who? From your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your son, shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. Now let me stop right here and say this. All she had was a little flask of oil. Elisha told her, go to your friends and your neighbors and borrow as many empty vessels as you can. Now, guess what happens when she did that? She gets all these empty jars. She's in the house with her two sons. She takes that flask of oil, the only little bit that she has left, and she begins to pour into every empty jar. And the scripture tells us that as long as there was an empty vessel, that oil just kept flowing. I'm telling you, there's a sermon in there somewhere. As long as there was an empty jar, man, she keeps pouring, that vessel's filled. Bring me another vessel, that vessel's filled. Bring me another vessel. Man, where did this oil come from? I don't know, but as long as there's an empty vessel, the oil flows. The oil is a type of anointing. When we say, Lord, less of me and more of you, God keeps pouring in pouring in, pouring. Finally, every jar in that room was full. She tells her son, bring me another jar. They say, mother, we have no other. It's all full. And at that moment, the oil stopped. And then the man of God says, now you take all this oil and you sell it and you pay off your debts and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, let me ask you this. What was the woman's greatest resource? Was it the oil? Was it the man of God? Was it the empty vessels? It was her friends and neighbors. She had to borrow. She would have had no vessels to fill had she not had friends in her life. Come on, somebody. Your resource is in your relationships. If she didn't have friends that knew her, that loved her, that believed in her, there would be no empty vessels. And without an empty vessel, there is no flow of God's spirit. I want to encourage you. You may not have stuff. But if you've got friends, you've got something that money can't buy. 
Because your resource is not in material possessions, but it's always in your relational equity. And if she didn't have any friends, then nobody would lend her a single thing. And the little oil that she had would have always been right where it was. See, some of you need to do some adjustments in how you think. It's not the, the accumulation of things. Wealth is not about cars that we drive, houses that we live in, 401ks or what's in our bank account. Wealth is about the relationships that we share. And so if we have relationships, are you catching this today? That's why we we, we don't get confused about this. If, if you make relationship, the Bible says, encourage one another. There is a two way street in a relationship. A relationship is something that I invest in, but it's something I withdraw from. Uh, let me tell you this. I want you to hear me. Because sometimes in a church this size, there, I know the myth that comes along with, with a, a, a mega church. And I, I don't even like the word mega church. I don't like that. We're not a mega church. Man, we're, we're a, a, a spiritual family with a mega vision. And I don't apologize about a mega vision. I want heaven to be full. And if this house is intimidating to some people because there's too many people, you're going to have a hard time when you get to heaven. God's not going to put you on some cul-de-sac, you know, on some dead end living by yourself. God's probably going to make me your next door neighbor in heaven. Hi, I'm having a party here. Jesus wants his house full. Can I have a good amen? But, but the myth in a large church is this. Well, I can't make any friends there. I'll never know anybody there. They don't even know me. They don't even know if I'm gone. They don't care. I've gotten, there's so many people here. There's no place for me to get involved in. Can I tell you this? Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. You need what's in this house. And this house needs what's inside of you. There is something that you have. There's a gift. There's a talent. There's an ability. There's a calling. There's an anointing. There's oil inside of you that this house needs. And if we're going to be all that God's called us to be, we can't do it apart from that thing that's inside of you. Your resource is in your relationship. You know, I think about how our church has grown, you know, back in the early 80s. Brother Ronnie May, Ronnie and Sherry May. That's, that's Johnny Green's father-in-law and his mother-in-law. It's Roxanne's parents. They were involved in a ministry here in Baton Rouge, bus ministry. Back in 1981, they, they were involved in a ministry that would bus kids from the inner city into different youth camps and, and church environments. And they did that for 10 years, from 81 to 91. Ronnie and Sherry May, every Saturday, would, uh, they would mobilize 20 buses to go pick up about 1,000 to 2,000 kids from some of the most difficult parts of our community and bust them in on Saturdays, and we would have so much fun, present the gospel, man, bless those kids and their families. They did it for 10 years. Well, the money, the funding needed for that bus ministry, it went away. And so when the funding dried up, the program stopped, but Ronnie and Sherry didn't. You know why? Because they had, they had vested relationships that they weren't going to neglect. So of their own resource, they continued to meet with these kids and their families. Brother Ronnie would go into the inner city and would drop off, you know, diapers or they would give toys. Um, They would pick up kids. He would do this on his own, but he would pick up kids every week and take them bowling. 
Take him to uh, skating. I'm telling you this. If you've ever met Brother Ronnie, that brother can skate. He knows how to skate. He spent many hours on a skating rink. In fact, Johnny told me this week that when he asked Brother Ronnie for his blessing, uh, Roxanne's hand in marriage, they were at Skate Galaxy when it all went down. So those relationships, because they were so important, Brother Ronnie, Miss Sherry, they understood the value of relationship. They just kept serving and meeting and sowing into those students, those kids and their families. Well, when our church got started back in 93, I guess about 97, 98, we started to do some stuff in the inner city. And guess what we leveraged? Their relationships. Brother Ronnie and Miss Sherry and, and Johnny got involved. That's how he got hired on staff was all the inner city work that we did for a number of years. We kept serving in our community. Community. In fact, I remember one time we bust in so many kids. We probably had about a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred kids in the front building up here, and we gave everybody pop tarts. I mean, no, when when you got pop tarts everywhere, you got pop tart jelly in the carpets. Come on, somebody, man! And John is on his hands and knees cleaning the carpets, man. But you know what? We valued relationship. We understand that your resources in your relationship. So get this. Fast forward to two thousand seven. Winburn Avenue Baptist Church, one of the historic churches in this city. That building was built in 1948. And at one time, they had a booming congregation. But as the demographics of the inner city began to change, their membership began to dwindle. They were down to about 12 people. They saw all the work that we were doing in the inner city. And they approached us and said, hey, we built this facility with the mission of reaching this community. And we can no longer do that. But we see what you're doing, and we trust the continuation of our ministry to your care. How about, we've got a building that we can't fill. You're doing work in the city. You need a place to base out of. How about you take this facility and you use it for ministry here? Do you know in 2007, we signed an agreement. We bought that building for $1. They gave us Winburn Avenue Baptist Church, which became our Baton Rouge Dream Center and is now our North Baton Rouge campus. And now on any given Sunday, hundreds of people gather in that building, in that space. I mean, think about it. God saw what was going on back in the 80s. He saw what was happening 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and he knew for such a time as this, if that's a church that will value relationships, if that's a group of men and women that will set value on people, then I'll give them buildings. I'll give them property. I'll give them resource. I'll open up doors of opportunity. Why? Because people matter to God. And so guess what? They should matter to us. Amen. Are you receiving that today? Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.